Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Last night, I'll, I'll start there. Last night, I was with some of our, our students, and we, we drove down to a worship night uh, at a church in Farmington. And it was super, super fun. And on the way back, we, we were just kind of talking a little bit, and I was sharing a little bit about what I'm talking about this morning. And I was like, guys, I don't know if I've ever studied so much for a message in my life. I was like, I feel like I have enough for a few sermons. And I was like, should, like, should I go deep tomorrow? And their answer was, yes, let's go deep. So this morning, I, I'm going super deep, okay? So I'm really excited. I don't do this a whole lot. So it's uncharted waters for me. First service, I think went okay. I don't know. Um, but I'm fired up. But before we jump in, I have one question for us. And that question is, what is the most important day every year in elementary school? What's the most important day? I'll give you like five seconds to think about it. And on the count of three, we're all going to shout it out. Okay? Ready? One, two, three. Wow. Okay. First service, they were like shouting. Uh, let's try it again. Okay? We'll give you a second chance. Ready? What's the most important day? One, two, three. Okay. I heard all the answers. I don't think I heard the right one uh, because there is a correct answer. The most important day in elementary school is not the first day of school. It's not the last day of school. It's definitely not standardized testing day, right? That day is the worst. The best day, most important day in elementary school is track and field day, right? Right? Track and field day is the most important day. Why? Because everyone in the whole world knows that when you're a kid, what makes you cool? Being fast, right? I'm sure all of us at some point in life have just had a random kid come up to us and they're like, look how fast I am. And they have the, the light up shoes and they take off and you're like, okay, cool. But in elementary school, being fast means you're cool. So track and field, it was the ultimate day to to be the cool kid. And for me, growing up, I was like, <laughs> I'm pretty fast, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a quick guy. So third grade came around. We didn't have track and field day until third grade. Third grade comes around. I'm like, I'm going to win all of this, right? I'm going to be the coolest kid in the whole grade. We run that day. I guess second. I was so mad. I lost to some kid named Ethan. I was like, Ethan, really? Like, that's dumb. But I was like, okay, whatever, whatever. I had an off day. Next year is my year. Because how many of you know every good movie, every good story has a great redemption story, right? If, if you see a, a sports movie, they lose by 50 to start the movie, and they come back and they beat the same team at the end of the movie, right? Or there's a massive underdog that, that redeems themselves at the end. And that was me in fourth grade. I was like, Let's go. It is go time. Fourth grade comes around. Boom. Second place again. It was the worst. Ethan beat me again. I was like, this is the dumbest thing in the world. Fifth grade comes around. I'm like, this is my last chance of elementary school to prove that I'm the coolest kid in school. 
And that's kind of when I started getting a little chubby. So like I didn't do so hot and moral of the story. I'm not that fast. And (laughs) I didn't redeem myself. But I think everyone in this room can agree that we love a good redemption story, right? Anyone else love a good redemption story? Yeah, we have two people. Let's go. We, we are fired up this morning. Wake up a little bit for me. I'm fired up. So we're going to jump into some scripture this morning. If you have your Bibles, there we go. If you have your Bibles, we always say, and you should, because you should bring your Bibles to church. We are going to read Psalm 84. I was kind of, I was half expecting some students to cheer a little bit there. You see, it went, when we were at camp, when we were at camp this summer, we were at junior teen, and the, so if, if there's one thing you should all know, it's kind of hard to keep the attention of middle schoolers, right? So we're at camp, and there were like 900 middle schoolers, and the speaker's doing his thing. He's telling these stories, grabbing everyone's attention, and after about 20 minutes, he's like, and tonight we're going to be reading from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And all of a sudden, there was this church with like 75 middle schoolers that just erupted. They're like, yeah, let's go. And everyone in the room was like, what is going on? And the speaker, he, he was like, hold up. I've been speaking for like 20 years. I've never had someone cheer. Like, what what's going on? And the youth pastor of this church yells out, we get excited about God's word. And I don't know if that makes anyone else happy, but like, Seeing 75 middle schoolers excited about God's word, like that's, that's exciting to me. Okay, so can we try that this morning? Yeah, yeah. Okay, we have, we'll try with, with our six students up here. Okay, we'll start from the beginning. If you have your Bibles, we are reading from Psalm 84. There we go, there we go. And why do we cheer? Yeah, come on, we get excited for God's word. Psalm 84, I'm going to be reading the whole chapter this morning, then we're going to break it down. It says this, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, everyone say Baca. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your, in your course than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper. Everyone say doorkeeper. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in God, I pray this morning for the next few minutes, God, you just speak to each one in this room. God, I pray 
It's not my words, but it's yours speaking directly to us. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, this chapter in Psalms, it, it, it's a good chapter, right? There, there are a few verses that people could be like, oh, that's a good one. I can hold on to that. But how many of you know there, there are a lot of times in life when, when we might be reading our Bible and nothing jumps out to you? Maybe that's because you don't know the context. Maybe it's because you don't know everything surrounding that passage. And that's, that's the case for this chapter. Once we know the context, it means so much more. And this morning, I'm going to put on a little bit of my teacher hat, my history hat, and we're going to talk through some really deep stuff. So I tell our students this all the time when they start to kind of drift and lose their minds a little bit when I'm, when I'm speaking. I'm like, hey, let's lock in. All right, so can we lock in for the next 15 minutes as, as I go really deep here? Callie says, yes, let's lock in. So where to begin? I think we should start with the author. And the author of this chapter is, is credited to a few people and is credited to the sons of Korah. And I don't know about you, but I don't know who the sons of Korah were before I read this chapter. Right? I was like, I don't know who that is. And in order to, to really know who the sons of Korah are, we need to go all the way back to the beginning. We're going to go to the, the ever-exciting chapter of Numbers chapter 3. And in Numbers 3, just a little, a little backstory. In the Old Testament, God's people were the Israelites. And the Israelites, they, they had 12 different tribes or 12 different families that, that were instructed to do different things. And one of these tribes, one of these families were the Levites. And in Numbers chapter 3, the Levites, God sets them apart to do the work of the tabernacle. And what is the tabernacle in the Old Testament? The tabernacle is the place of worship that the Israelites built according to God's plan for them. Right? In Hebrew, the word tabernacle means dwelling place. So what is the tabernacle? It's where God's presence dwelt. Because in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, before he, before he sent the Holy Spirit to live with us, and God's presence was with the Israelites, but it was even more tangibly felt at the tabernacle. And the Levites were the ones who were in charge of the tabernacle. And the tribe of, of Levi, it started with a father named Levi who had three sons. It was Gershon, Merari, and Kohath, right? Sick names. But we don't care about Gershon or Merari this morning. We care about Kohath, okay? Everyone say Kohath. Kohath and his family were instructed to do very specific things with the tabernacle. And in Numbers 3.31, it says they were responsible for the care of the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the articles of the sanctuary used in ministering, the curtain, and everything related to their use. But the main responsibility that Kohath and his family had was to move the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant, what is that? Right? It's, it's this, this chest made of, of wood and gold that held some of the most sacred things to the Israelites. Right? The Ten Commandments were in the Ark of the Covenant. And the Kohathites, they, they were responsible for moving this, for, for watching it. 
And the cool thing, cool and scary thing about the Ark of the Covenant is that it was so holy, it was so sacred, that if you touched the Ark, you would die. And this is what the Kohathites were responsible for. So more than anyone, this family knew the power of God. This family knew that the presence of God meant everything. And Kohath's grandson comes on the scene, and his name is Korah, right? Who wrote Psalm 84? The sons of Korah. And Korah, just like the rest of his family, had been trained in these specific instructions for the tabernacle, right? Korah knew the power of God. Korah knew to not mess with God. He knew that God was so holy because his whole life he had been taught this very thing. But Korah starts to miss the mark. When Jesus was alive, people would ask him, Jesus, what's the most important thing we can do as followers of you? And he would say, one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And two, love your neighbor. Right? Both of those things require us to look outside of ourselves. Right? Love God with everything you have. Love people. Both outside of ourselves. And Korah misses this, and he starts to make his life about himself. Even though he knew the power of God, even though he knew he was supposed to worship God. And Korah, he decides, I'm going to start an uprising. I'm going to try to overthrow the leader of Israel. And he gets 250 men to join him in trying to overthrow the leader of Israel, who, which was Moses. And Moses gets wind of this, and he, he calls Korah to him, and he, he instructs them to stand before God and burn incense. And in Numbers 16, verses 28 through 35, it says this, Then Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things, and that it was not my idea. Right? Moses is saying, In a second, God's going to show you that it's, it's not about me. And verse 29 says, If these men die a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the realm of the dead, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. All right, so what is Moses saying there? He's saying, if these people, right, if Korah and the 250 men that are standing before God, if they die a natural death, you'll know I'm a fraud. But if they die because the earth opens up its mouth and swallows them, then you'll know, don't mess with God, right? That's pretty insane. I don't know. Derek's laughing up front because he knows how crazy that is. And in verse 31, it says, as soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. They went down alive into the realm of the dead with everything they owned. The earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, the earth is going to swallow us too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. Stay with me here for a second. Korah, the very man 
who was supposed to know the power of God more than anyone else, the very man who had, had seen God's presence, had, had tangibly felt God, loses his way, makes a decision to start living his life about himself. And because of that, he dies. And so do the 250 others that he got to join him. And we serve a God that is all-powerful. And the crazy part about this story is what happens in the next few verses. And, and what happens is the rest of the, the Israelites get so fearful because they're like, holy crap, the earth opened its mouth. Right? And if I saw that, I'd be like, oh, man, I'm out too. But the Israelites were like, this is insane. We're leaving. Right? We're going to be gone from Israel. We don't care. And God gets so mad that God sends a plague. Because he wanted to kill all the Israelites. Because he said, or he decided, you know, I could kill them all. And I could start fresh with the new nation. God gets so mad because one person, Korah, missed the mark. And all of Israel is about to die because of that. But Aaron and Moses are like, holy cow, God, let's, let's chill out just a little bit, right? Give us a second chance. That's the Riley version. And God spares them. But at the end of the day, 15,000 men died because Korah missed the mark. Because the very guy who should have known the power and the presence of God missed the mark. But God wasn't done with Korah's family. A few chapters later, we find out that there were a few sons of Korah who were off doing their own thing that didn't die. And God said, I have a greater purpose. I have a greater plan for the family of Korah. It doesn't matter what, they've, what their family has done. It doesn't matter what their father has done to put them in this situation. I have a plan and purpose that's greater for them, and I'm going to redeem their story. The truth is, that's what God says about us. He says, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter what other people have done to you. It doesn't matter what your family has done. Because God has a plan and a purpose for you. If God can use the family of Korah, he can use anyone. And get this. From Korah's, from Korah's line, from his family, seven generations later, a man named Samuel comes on the scene. One of the greatest prophets in the history of Israel came from the line of Korah. Right? A few generations later, the Korahites became the doorkeepers once again of the tabernacle. Psalm 84 verse 10 says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Right? The author of, of Psalm 84, who's a son of Korah, knows more than anyone how important it is to be a doorkeeper. Right? The very thing that several generations before, the very thing that Korah was supposed to do is what God has redeemed the family into doing once again. God is in the business of redeeming our stories, 
or if we keep going down the line of Korah, there, there are members of his family that joined King David in his military battles. And, and lastly, there's a guy named Haman who was appointed by David to be one of the three worship leaders for Israel. And the cool thing is, last week, Derek shared a message from a man named Asaph, who was one of the other worship leaders of Israel. And Haman is believed to be the one who wrote this psalm. So when we read this psalm from his perspective, knowing everything that his family had done, knowing all the mistakes that Korah had made, knowing that God tried killing the entire Israel nation because of his family, right? When, when he says in Psalm 84 verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place, that means way more. Right? When he says, better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. And he talks about being a doorkeeper once again. How many of you know that means everything to Haman? God's in the business of redeeming people. And he wants to redeem your story this morning. The truth is, if your story isn't redeemed, God's not done. If your story isn't redeemed, God's not done. There are just a few thoughts I, I want to share this morning about redemption. Because if your story isn't redeemed, God's not done. The first thing is, is this. When it comes to redemption, challenge is good. Challenge is good. Psalm 84, verses 5 through 7 says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength to lead your peers before God in Zion. When it says they, they pass through the valley of Baca, I was like, where is this valley? So I, I looked it up, and the valley of Baca is actually not a, a physical valley. The word Baca in, Hebrews, or in Hebrew means to weep. So what, what the author is saying is the valley of weeping, right? The valley of tough times, the valley of challenges in your life. And he says, as they go, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. As they, as they walk through these tough times, they begin to worship God. And a lot of times we have to go through tough times in order to experience God's full redemption in our story. And our relationships grow the most in tough times. Some of the people I look up to the most in my life are, are the pastors at, at the last church I worked at. Their names are Jarvis and Jane. And right before I got to this church, they, they had a son named Sully. And Sully, is, he's the man. But he was born with a few medical complications. Uh, he was born without some tear ducts. He was born with six toes on each foot. Um, and kind of the biggest one was he was born, uh, I don't know how to say this. Probably never heard anyone say this word from stage before, but he was born without a butthole. And because of this, I'll say first service laughed when I said that word, so <laughs> wake up a little bit. But he was born without this. And, and because of that, there, was, there were so many medical complications. Right? He had a colostomy bag that they had to change every single day 
for two years because for two years, the doctors would attempt surgery and it wouldn't take, right? And they would attempt another surgery and it wouldn't work. And they'd attempt another surgery and it wouldn't work. And I got a front row seat to see my pastors walking through the Valley of Baca. I had a front row seat to see some of the people I looked up to the most walk through one of the most challenging experiences anyone could walk through. To see their their little boy in so much pain. To see their little boy have surgery after surgery that doesn't work. And the entire church rallied around the pastors. And the entire church got to see that, that our pastors looked at this opportunity, looked at this Valley of Baca as an opportunity to re-experience God's faithfulness. And that's really what tough times are. They're an opportunity to re-experience God's faithfulness. And if you're in a tough time this morning, if you're walking through a situation where you feel like there's no hope, man, I just want to challenge you. Man, keep walking through because God is so faithful. God is going to redeem your story. God is going to redeem your tough times. And challenges allow us to go from strength to strength. I love how, how it says that in verse 7. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God. And how, how can we go from strength to strength? We can do it by going together, right? Because how many of you know it's, it's easy when, when we're going through a tough situation to isolate ourselves, to think, I don't want to put this burden on anyone else. And a lot of times we do that, and it, it's tough. But when we invite other people into our situations, when we invite people into those challenges, it makes it so much easier because we go from our strength to their strength, right? We go from strength to strength together. And at the end of the day, and that's what the church is supposed to be, a group of people going from strength to strength, from strong to stronger. Because when we do it together, man, we can go from strength to strength. The next thing about our story being redeemed, the next thing about redemption is commitment is good. Commitment is good. The sons of Korah, Homan, who wrote this, this psalm, he says, blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Right? What does that mean? Blessed are those who's, who travel to experience God's presence. Blessed are those who go out of their way to meet with the presence of God. Homan knew this, that he needed to set time apart in his life to be with God. He knew that he needed to pilgrimage. He needed to leave his everyday life and go meet with God in Zion. And he lived with a sense of urgency to be with God's presence. And this morning, are you living with that sense of urgency to meet with God? Are you living with that sense of urgency to meet with God? Psalm 84 verse 11 says, No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Right? God gives us what we need when we do our part, when we do the walking. I think a lot of times we, we 
are in situations where like, man, I feel like I, I haven't heard from God. I feel like God's not showing up for me in this, in this situation I'm going through. And I have students say this all the time to me. I just feel like I'm not hearing from God. The next thing I'll say to them is, when was the last time you opened up your Bible? Right? Because if, if, if we're saying we're not hearing from God, I want to ask you, are you doing your part and are you walking? Because when, when we walk, God meets us. When we move, God meets us. And he gives us what we need, but God can't walk for us. We have a part to play. But the truth is, if you are walking, God gives us what you need. Or if you stay committed, God gives you what you need to get through the tough times. God gives you what you need to see your story redeemed. A few months ago, I was in Ecuador with a few of our students, and I, I had the, the privilege of leading our students and leading another church um, and their students on this trip. And it was so fun because I'd been on so many mission trips in my life where other people have led and other people have modeled what, what good leadership looks like. And, and my goal on this trip was to, to be as close to these leaders that I've seen in my life. I want to be as close to what they did for my students. And one night, we, we were spending some time in prayer. And the thing about a missions trip is you, you pour out your heart so much every single day. And it's easy to, to go back to where you're staying and just go to bed. But in all my missions trips, some of the most life-changing moments happened after the ministry ended when I just got to spend time with God. Right, because like Cora knew, God's presence changes everything. And he missed the mark. And for me, I never want to miss the mark. And every single night in Ecuador, we, we'd be dead tired. We'd get back to our hotel and I'd say, guys, grab your journals, grab your Bibles. We're going to spend a little time in prayer. And one night I was, I was just pouring out my heart toward the students and just encouraging them, don't forget what God has done. Don't throw away the journal entries that, that you've made in Ecuador. Because every night, I would ask students specific questions, and they'd pray through questions. And I, I pulled out my journal. I was like, guys, I've had this journal for 10 years. And it's 10 years of prayers. It's 10 years of hearing from God on mission trips. It's 10 years of taking notes and sermons. I said, guys, don't forget what God has done in your life. Every once in a while, open up this journal and look back on what God has done. And the students were like, Riley, turn, I, like, let's hear some of the stuff you wrote. And I turned to the first page. And my first journal entry was June 10th, 2013. The summer after my freshman year of high school, I was in the country of Guatemala on a missions trip. And my dad was the leader of this trip, and, and he asked me to pray through this question, what is a dream God has placed in my heart? And in 2013, I wrote one word. I wrote the word teens. 
teens. What's a dream God had placed in my heart as a 15-year-old? Teens. And a lot of you in this room, you, you know a little bit of my story. I went to college not to be a pastor. Right? It's probably shocking because I'm such a great preacher and stuff. Uh, but I didn't go to college to be a pastor. I graduated with a degree in math. And it wasn't until the end of my junior year in college when I was going through a tough time, when I was going through a valley of bacas night after night for weeks, I would just cry to God because of my situation. Going through this tough time, I would say, God, just show up in my life. And in this tough time, through staying committed, God began to speak to me. And he was like, Riley, why are you running from the call I put on your life? Because six years earlier, when I was in Guatemala as a 15-year-old, what's the dream God placed in my heart? Teens. Six years later, I was almost graduated from college, and I was studying math. And one of the things I love about what I do is that God is redeeming my story every single day. For six years, I ran from the call of God in my life. And every single day, whenever I get to interact with students, whenever I coach at the high school, whenever I I do my job, God is redeeming my story. And I know there's some people in this room that God is going to redeem your story. God is going to redeem your story. But the truth is, it might take you walking through tough times. And you got to stay committed. Last night, we got back from this worship night and it's pretty late, like midnight. It was great. I got back to my place. Now, I was just going through some notes for this morning. And I got a text from one of my students. As soon as I got this text, I just began to cry. I began to break down. In the text, it it wasn't anything elaborate. All it said was, thank you so much for what you've done in my life. And in that moment, I felt God say to me, I'm redeeming your story. And this morning, as I've rambled on about the line of Korah, I don't know if there's anyone else in this room who needs to hear that God's not done with you yet. Because if your story isn't redeemed, God's not done. If everyone could could bow their heads, close their eyes. I, I didn't do this in first service, but I, I feel like there's I feel like there's one, maybe two in this room. And I'm not even looking around. The only person I'm gonna ask to look around is Derek. But I feel like there's, there's one, maybe two people in this room who you've, you've made a mistake in your life and you've tucked it so deep. You've, you've hit it so far because you're scared 
of what God could use with it. You're scared that if it comes to light, God, God could, could transform your life and could transform other people, and you don't know if you want that responsibility. I'm not looking around. But I just want to ask, is, is there anyone in this room who you'd say, that's me? I've tucked it so deep because I don't know if I want the responsibility. I don't know if there's even a hand up right now. But I'd say this, if that's you, if that's you, step into it. Step into what God has for you. It's going to bring challenges. It's going to bring a tough time as, as maybe some stuff might come out about a mistake or a situation you put yourself in. But God is going to redeem your story, and it's going to bring so much life to people around you. Because God's not done with you. But I'd, I'd also ask this. Is there anyone in this room who you're saying, man, I just want God to redeem some aspect of my story. Man, there's something I've been holding on to a little bit, and I just want God to redeem my story because I want God to start using me as, as, I, as I start to look outside of myself. Is there anyone in this room, just lift up your hand if that's you and say, I, I just want God to redeem my story. God, this morning, God, we know that you are a powerful God. You, you are a loving God. And I think oftentimes we forget, God, that you are in the business of redeeming our story. So, God, I pray that this morning, as we walk out of this church, I pray every single person is encouraged as they're reminded of times, God, where you redeemed their story, where you redeemed their mistakes. And, Jesus, I pray, God, for those of us who are walking through a tough situation. I pray for those of us who are maybe holding on to something that's happened to us in the past. And God, it, I pray you bring redemption to our stories. God, as, as we continually chase after you, because God, you are so worthy of our praise. God, you are so good. So as we go forth from this church, God, I pray you continue to bring redemption to each one of our lives as, as we continue to serve you. In your name, amen. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.